Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm your host, Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, but also my partner in life, Rachel Campos-Duffy. Thank you, Sean. And hello, everyone. We're back with more conversations from our kitchen table. And today we're joined. I'm really excited about this. We're joined by author, historian, professor and senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, Victor Hansen. Welcome, Victor, to the kitchen table. It's so great to have you. And boy, I've been wanting to have you on back because this is your second time at the kitchen table because I mentioned several times, Victor, on Fox and Friends that you and I had discussed a list of universities that come with the VDH approval, <laughs> the seal of approval. And I have had more emails from people wanting that list and wanting to talk about it. And so I thought I'm going to have them back to make sure we have the full list before I, I give that out. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to, glad to be here. So, Victor, you know, this is this has been a raging conversation in America about you know, how do we protect our kids? How do we educate our kids? And I think there's been a real awakening and you have been part of this awakening because it's an issue that you talk about a lot, but what's happened with the American K through 12 system, but then the higher education system and how woke it has gotten. And as parents have seen, whether it's been their own children or their friends or neighbors or nieces or nephews go off to school and they, they leave kind of normal normal kids, and they come back four years later, absolutely insane, woke, liberal crazies. And now parents with the news attention that what's happened in universities, they're like, oh my goodness, I want to protect my own child. I've, I've given so much to, to raising, rearing this child. I don't want to lose them. So give us your thoughts on the schools that you think are the best um, when you want to look at getting a great education, but also not losing your child to the woke crazies? Yeah, I get that question a lot. And uh, there's all sorts of distinctions. I mean, we're talking about undergraduate colleges and universities because with graduate programs uh, in the liberal arts, they tend to be exclusively left wing. I mean, the 
Some of them aren't. Very few aren't. But if we're talking about undergraduate schools, the ones that I've spoken at or have been a visitor at, I think far and away, Hillsdale College, for the amount of money you pay and the quality of education you get, and even if you were to pay three times that, it would be worth it. So that campus has no studies courses. If you go into the bookstore or look at the schedule of courses, there's no DASH, gender studies, leisure studies, peace studies, environmental studies, black studies. And there's not a lot of social sciences, sociology, or community studies. It doesn't mean that they don't investigate those subjects, but they do under traditional rubrics of philosophy, English literature, foreign languages, and the, the physical sciences and mathematics. And there's a wide campus diversity there. I mean, there's people who are all across the conservative and even the moderate spectrum. But uh, I just find it when I go there every two to three weeks a year, I've been done, doing it for 20 years to teach. And it's just reminds me of my childhood. You park a bike on campus, you don't lock it. Uh, students are polite when they disagree with you. It's not accusatory. And so the faculty is top notch. So that would be my first choice. Then if you're say you're a moderate or something, I have. I gave the graduation speech once at St. John's University in Annapolis. And that, while it can be woke, it does have a great books curriculum that it's centered upon. And it seems that if you were to go to a St. to St. John's, then you would probably be exposed to the great thinkers of the Western world and the non-Western world. But it would be at least something other than the therapeutic curriculum. I can't vouch for the the culture of the campus. But I will say this, that when I was a visitor 20 years ago at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, just a few miles away from St. John's, the students that I had that sat in in my class from St. John's were far more conservative and better prepared than the Naval Academy students. And the faculty that I knew at St. John's was far more uh, adept and conservative than were the U.S. Naval Academy faculty. I thought that was quite striking. Um, another college that I've, I've been following, and I, I recently spent two days there, is St. Thomas Aquinas College uh, down in Southern California. And uh, it's it's really a, one of the most beautiful campuses I've seen. It's up in the hills, oh, 20 miles east eastward and inland from Ventura, Oxnard in Southern California. But that's the only affinity it has with Southern California, the weather. But it's a beautiful campus. The students are very good. The faculty is excellent. I would recommend that as well. Pepperdine is a very unique case. It was a Church of Christ affiliated campus. It's beautiful. It's in Malibu. It's one of the most beautiful campuses in the United States. It was uh, a favorite of foreign students who felt that it was one of the safer areas because it's off the Pacific Coast Highway in a very exclusive area, and it was re it's up on the hills. They have been uh, I don't know how to say it. They're they're in a the undergraduate programs are starting to evolve a little bit as I look at them and I visited there a little bit woke, but there's still a, a, a good nucleus of faculty. And then they have a, a wonderful graduate program in public policy the school that, that offers an MA that's uh, very traditional and, and, and reliable. And it turns out great students. The other colleges, too, you know, correct? you taught there. Yes, I did. I was a visitor there for, I had a daughter, Susanna Hansen, who passed away from leukemia, but she was in her right after she graduated. She passed away, but she. Um, so sorry to hear that. She had a wonderful time there. 
and uh, she, it was sort of her renaissance. She was a graduate of UC Santa Cruz when she didn't like that. And then she went to Chile, learned Spanish, taught there for two years and came back. And then suddenly kind of relived her undergraduate experience and having a community of normal people. So she loved it there when she you know, got my colleague, master's. My colleague, Will Kane went to Pepperdine and I mean, I've, I've heard mixed reviews about Pepperdine. I've heard wonderful things. Um, yes. And then I've also heard that it has, you know, become infected with the woke. I think virus. that's a good analysis. Uh, oh, I went well. there, I think, nine years ago. And I talked to some of the undergraduate faculty. I was teaching in the graduate school. I had a couple of undergraduate and I, I thought that it was wonderful. But I think le- recently, the last two times I visited, I would say the School of Public Policy under Pete Peterson's wonderful, but I can't say the same for um, the undergraduate. In totality, there are pockets there that are still excellent. University of Dallas is is known as as a very good place to go, and it's got reliable faculty. It, it's not woke. When we say it's not woke, what we mean is we're not trying to be ideological warriors. We're just saying that the courses are inductive. That is, the, the faculty member presents evidence, required readings, exams, and then the students uh, analyze that. And the faculty member's not interested as much in the particular point of view the student has, but more interested in how that view is expressed, how it is supported, how it is defined, the data that went into that empirical decision. In other words, they're inductive, whereas a woke campus is deductive. The professor starts off with a premise, and then he or she forces the evidence on on one side only to keep reaffirming that pre-existing uh, deductive idea. And that's really what you can you can see the difference when you look at the catalog. I used to I could say the UC campuses in California, they used to be excellent, but I can't think of one undergraduate or graduate program that is not woken. We have 23 state university campuses. I taught for 21 years at one and they're all woke as well. So California. I, uh, Victor, I went to UC San Diego for graduate school. Yes. And, um, you know, it was obviously liberal, but I, I, I wouldn't say it was, you know, terribly woke. I know that has changed as well. Based on your recommendation of the University of Dallas, when you were on our podcast last time, that made the list, which let me backtrack a minute here. So our oldest child went to the University of Chicago. Um, we had another one that enrolled at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And around that time, shortly after he started at Madison, is sort of when Sean and I decided that we were sick of giving our hard-earned money to people that hated us, didn't like our values, um, weren't interested in Western civilization, thought it was, you know, horrible, and um, and wanted to indoctrinate our kids and all the other kids. And so we decided we weren't going to fund it anymore. And that's around the time, by the way, that you were on our podcast. Mm-hmm. So I remember we that discussion. We selfishly had, yeah. picking your brain for which <laughs> universities, you know, VDH would choose. And so when um, when you mentioned Dallas, that was became one of the, the schools and Hillsdale was on there. There were a couple others that you'd mentioned. And she went down and, and visited Dallas, really liked it. Um, uh, and and anyway, she got accepted and she's starting and oh, good. Wow, that's a good few news. weeks from now. So, yeah. uh, you know, real influence that you've had on, on this. So we've Sean and I have said that 
you know, we feel like we're becoming better consumers of education. And that yeah. goes for, you know, as you know, we have nine kids. So we have kids in elementary, junior high, high school. So we ended up placing our kids in a in a classical academy. And and now, you know, the first one that's gone through our, our new criteria for choosing college, we basically say you can you go wherever you want, you but can if pick you, whatever school you want, you go to wherever you want to go. But if you want us to participate in helping to pay for it, there's only these schools, these schools that you can pick from. You can pick from. <laughs> that's what there's a lot of influence yeah. in that picture. <laughs> so that, that's that comes up a lot strategy. with the. That's one of the most. I, I think that's the most. Um, one of the I should say the most common question I get from parents is the following. Well, I have the interest of my child foremost, and my child has done superbly in high school, and I would like them to go to a Harvard or Princeton or Yale or Oberlin or. Brown or Dartmouth or Wellesley or Amherst, but I'm worried. And yes, you've recommended these other schools, but their brand, and that's, they're very explicit about right. being a brand, their brand will not offer them the same trajectory for fill in the blanks, law school, med school, business. And that's true because the graduate programs participate in that same branding phenomenon. So it's, it's kind of a dilemma sometimes when you tell a parent, Yes, but your student, your student child, if they were to go to just take example, Hillsdale, they're going to meet people they'll never meet anywhere else at another campus. There's the whole development of the young adult. They're going to they may marry somebody there. They may date somebody there. Uh, It's going to be a a holistic totality. Whereas if you put take them to where I work at Stanford and they have traditional values they can have experiences outside the classroom that can negate not just the fact that they're not going to get as good an education, but negate the whole idea that they're going to graduate and feel motivated to go to graduate school. So it's a, it's a hard call. I think what we all have to do as parents and alumni is to cease giving money to these universities mm-hmm. without clear direction of where it can be spent. I know it's fungible, but too many alumni will say to me, well, I give to Stanford because I need my grandkids to go, or I want that brand to continue to be superior so that it enhances my own career when I come up in my 30s and 40s. And it's all the wrong thinking, you know, and it's very hard to tell a parent, stop, don't give them any money. Put your child in a place where they'll get a traditional, uh, rigorous and demanding education, but they'll have a campus life that is reaffirming. And they're not going to get that, unfortunately, at the Ivy League or these Tony named uh, university what campuses. What do parents say when you give campus. them that answer? I mean, it's so interesting because clearly, I mean, by the way, we don't have a we don't have anyone able to go to Harvard, <laughs> but, but so, so we, we're not, we probably weren't well, but, competitive but, in that way. But the university of Chicago is a great school. And it is a good school. And in hindsight, I don't know, Victor, and my, my daughter came out more conservative than she went in. They, they attacked her. I think she she's a strong. rare bird though, Sean. I, I think so too. And so she, she did a great job and you Chicago was wonderful for her, but most of my other kids, the university of Chicago would have got them. And, Rachel what do you mean by got them? You mean indoctrinated? Yes, them. they would have. They, yeah, it, it's a woke yes. campus, but the difference between Chicago and other places is that it has a core of empirical thinking faculty that were hired, let's say, fifteen to twenty years ago, 
and they're not woke. And so there are islands within Chicago and they have such a great reputation they're as tiny, teachers and scholars. Tiny islands. But that, Victor, yes, they, they, they tiny, but perception. a person with with care and deliberation can can pick over four years, maybe 10 or 12 faculty members to take classes from. So I've heard I've heard that repeatedly in a way that's not true of Stanford or Berkeley or Princeton or Yale. So oh, go ahead, it's, it's very hard when you ask what do parents think? There's two criteria that I think have changed. One is what they thought. 2015 and what they think now are starting to be quite different. Now, given the lockdown craziness, the George Floyd aftermath, the BLM, the Antifa, and the the craziness of the whole left-wing movement, a lot of parents are now saying that brand is not worth it because I could lose my child. If I yes. send my son to an Ivy League or a Stanford, I don't know. He might go on a date and be accused of something and he won't have constitutional protections. Uh, they will not allow him to cross-examine. So I don't want him to date. People will say this. If my son or daughter any go to those campuses, A, I do not want them to date anybody. I'm so scared about the lack of due process mm -hmm. and what they might do. I don't want them to get in any political activity whatsoever, because I don't know whether they'll go out after their social media, except I don't want them to talking to any. And that's not that's not a healthy idea. So they're changing. People are saying, you know what, I don't want to buy into that to the same degree. And so I think I maybe the last year or two, I've talked to maybe 15 people whose older siblings have gone to those branded schools and they're sending their kids to say Hillsdale, almost all of them are. And I think that that's heartening, Victor, because for, for me, I look at this and say, you know, there's, there's great networking um, that happens at a Harvard um, and a Princeton and a Stanford. And there's a good brand to those schools still. But if you look at what's the quality of the true education that your young adult is going to get in that institution versus a Hillsdale or one of these classical schools that are actually forcing kids to read and think yes. and be critical and be exposed to all kinds of ideas, which is what we want them to be exposed to. Um, not just one set of ideas. And if you have faith in your child, yeah, they may not have the same Harvard network, but they're coming out smart, well-rounded kids. I would have faith in my kids that went to a great school and they're well-educated. They're going to make it. They're going to do just fine. They're going to do excellent by coming out and being smart, well-rounded, well well-informed young adults. They don't need the Harvard stamp of approval. By the way, I think did Pete Hexeth send his Harvard diploma back to Harvard? Is that right? Yeah, he's, he he he. Uh, yeah, he took his diploma, and I think he wrote "Return, return to Sender." sender. <laughs> <laughs> he sent it back. Yeah, I, I think. Um, but I think but that's I think that's the right way of, of thinking about it. Um, I think it's changing again. When I look at these other schools. One of the differences when I always when I go speak at a campus, I look go to the bookstore and I look what the books are ordered. And one of the big differences is that a Hillsdale or University of Dallas or they have more primary readings. Yes, and the, yes. these other schools do not want to do it because they want to a um, bring in their friends or these post 1960s uh, studies courses and promote, you know, gender studies or black studies or environmental studies. And there's not a lot of primary sources. So they bring in this therapeutic curriculum. And then the second 
they don't like primary sources of the Western world because they feel they're racist or sexist. So they don't want anything to do with them. And so when you go to these other courses uh, that are offered at these traditional campuses, they're actually getting primary sources. And I think it's, it, it is really changing because people are, again, they're, they're not looking at, uh, I know in California, say a, a Stanford or Berkeley, they're not looking at, well, my kid will get a BA from Berkeley or Stanford and that will send the, push them on their way and they'll take courses and it'll just be four years. Big deal. It's worth, that's, that was the attitude 10 years ago, but they're worried now and they're saying things like my 18 year old could be permanently damaged going to that place because of the Mm -hmm. things that go on and the things that they indoctrinate. And he could, he could raise his hand in the class and be, you know, shouted down and somebody could follow him or he can be in a dorm and he can be innocently walking into a safe space where he's the wrong race, or he can say something that he doesn't want to participate in a graduation that's adjudicated by racial criteria or a theme house or any of that stuff. And I, I have, I have a lot of conservative students that at Stanford that come into my office kind of slink in at the Hoover tower and they um, they're very, anxious people that they're just they feel that it's a they have a like cadre of people that they found they have kind of a community of traditional students but they have to be very very careful and they are very aware that their politics puts a target on their back and they can be they can have somebody say well Joe Smith's uh, said something to me in the gym, and I think it, I, I should report it to the equity inclusion officer, things like that. And so I, it's a, it's kind of an Eastern European 1950s atmosphere at these campuses yes. now. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every Life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Well, and that goes for the professors too. So my, my daughter at U- University of Chicago had an experience. I won't go into it, but she was canceled and she came out stronger and kind of fought back and was, I think, victorious in this, you know, canceling of her because of her political ideas. But there were professors that were slinking to her um, that were, you know, afraid to come out and basically writing letters saying, you're so brave, you know, thank you for what you're doing. I can't do it. I'm not tenured yet or whatever. Um, you brought up such an interesting point to me. You said you went to the bookstore that to look at primary source that see how many primary sources um, and were in the bookstore. What other books were they selling? That's an indicator for you. And so we've been talking about this idea of becoming better consumers of education and the way I the questions I was asking when I toured the University of Dallas were totally different. 
than anything I was looking at when I went to tour the University of Chicago with my first child. So I think in the first at University of Chicago, I was really taken, you know, look like Harry Potter, Hogwarts. It was beautiful. You know, the Gothic architecture. It was a beautiful campus. Again, it had that branding and we knew people would be really impressed if she graduated from there. And then she did well because of who she is. I was not that impressed. I was impressed with the workload and the work ethic that is required to graduate from there. But I think it was really hard for she did find a, a, a small group of professors that she, you know, clung to and helped her, but I, it wasn't as large as I, I it sounded like mm-hmm. you have heard it could be. I thought it was very small considering how big that, you know, and, and well-known that university is. When I went to Dallas, I actually wanted to see what is the curriculum. And I was so impressed because no, no matter if you're an English major or an engineer, everybody is reading the same books um, in the first two years. There's a, a set curriculum um, they all have to read them. They're primary sources. Um, it's all the classics that, you know, if you didn't read, you wish you had read. Um, I'm sure that you, Victor, have read all of them and, and could and could tell us everything about them. But I was so happy that my I was like, this is worth me paying for. And I they also had a, a semester in Rome where they're going to, you know, uh, study architecture and art. I mean, I just I felt so much better about the idea of writing a check. So what other clues should parents look for when they when they go on these tours, when they start researching the schools? The bookstore is an excellent idea. I never thought of that. I asked for the curriculum. Another great thing is to go online and just look at the catalog titles, because if you look at a St. Thomas Aquinas or Hillsdale or St. Vincent, even Pepperdine, you will see things like history of Western humanities, part one, uh, antiquity to the medieval period, part two, spring semester, or they'll, they will say great uh, philosophical minds of the West, uh, Plato, Aristotle, um, Boethius, or something like that. But when you go to these other ones, they actually have titles and courses that are things on movies, cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all, they have these constructed, the, the architecture of masculinity, the poetics of gender, uh, these new made up therapeutic terms that are highly ideological. And they, they really have things that are not academic in the title. I mean, cartoon studies, movie studies, comic books a lot. And you, you I'm not, I'm not kidding or, the performance of Popeye or the use of Minnie Mouse. And he, those are always tip offs that the particular department's curriculum committee has allowed that to happen. The dean has ha- allowed that to happen. The provost has allowed that to happen. Whereas at these other schools, if some wacky professor said, you know what, I'm kind of lazy. I don't really know a lot, but I I love uh, Facebook, so I'm going to teach a class called The Ideology of Posting in Facebook, something like that. It would never get through the committee. It would never get into the curriculum. And just it just takes you. They'll just catch your eye very quickly. And as soon as you see them, you know that there's no faculty uh, introspection or discipline. And I think that that's a, a very good thing. Another thing I do is I walk across campuses when I'm invited to speak. And I've had some pretty hairy experiences the last 30 years at some campuses, but I look at what's being posted and what's, uh, you know, every campus has lunatic posters and things like that. But when you see the majority of them are things like 
come to this free speech area and listen to, and they have some radical Palestinian person, and it's overtly anti-Semitic. And that's very common today about the Palestinian mm-hmm. issue. That's one of the things you know you look at. Or if you walk and there's a huge area with chalk that says BLM safe space or uh, Antifa meeting tonight, and it's just that you can see just by perusing these yeah. uh, at the at, at the, at the, yeah, the wherever the they congregate, is. wherever they have all these postings, yeah, you see them you all can. on campus. That's such a great um, that's such a great way to get more insight. Anything else that you can think of that, you know, I, you go, I always look at the lectures um, and the graduation speakers. If they mm-hmm. are a legitimate university, they will have once in a while a conservative, not often, but once in a while, <laughs> a conservative graduation you can get the list they're online of all the graduation speakers year after year and then you can see the people who they invite to speak if they have a lecture series where they try to have both sides if they had somebody like say jordan peterson speak they would allow that to happen then they tend to be respectful of free exchanges of ideas Uh, Stanford, a student group invited ben shapiro and the next thing i knew when i walked to the parking lot here were pictures of bug spray, a very anti-Semitic trope that you have to be careful to get rid of Ben Shapiro as if he was an insect or something. Mm. And that was all over the Stanford campus. And then, you know, when I looked in the faculty senate, I always try these out when, because I'm a graduate of Stanford, I had a PhD there. My mother went there, my aunt went there, my sister went there, cousin, sister. And I always ask myself, what happened to this place? And how can I kind of define empirically what happened. So these are the things I I look at because they weren't there when I was a student. It was a left of center campus, but it was tolerant and the professors were very tolerant and they were worried about you learning, not the type of ideology that you advanced or possessed when you graduated. So those are some of the things. The faculty is, uh, if you, you can go, I always look at the, senior faculty, and I will Google them if I'm interested, because I had three children as well. I had two now, but I had three, and I would do this. I didn't do a very good job of selecting the colleges because they wanted to go to particular places. I should have probably had more discipline, but they all turned out pretty well. But once they got there, I they would write back to me and say, this person is teaching, what do you think? And I would Google them if I didn't know the name. And I'd say, if you take that class and you come to an independent position different from that particular professor, they're going to hound you and you're not going to do well. And so you're going to be in a dilemma. You're either going to have to use a vocabulary and come to a conclusion that you don't believe in, but you know will give you an A or a B plus or something, or you can be honest and no matter how wonderful that essay is composed, you're going to get a C. And that was very shocking to them. And I remember my daughter would call me and say, Wow, I, I wrote something on you. We were talking about World War II, and it was a conflict and resolution class. And she talked about, I, and I said, Susanna, if you write about World War II as an exam, that's going to make you militaristic. She goes, Oh, no. And then she called up crying and said, It was such a good essay. And I, I, no one really cared about it. They just said that I shouldn't talk about these subjects. And, and then she said, You know, and they, I went to see the professor, and all World War II was, was, Hiroshima and the Japanese internment, it wasn't anything you talked about all these years about, you know, D-Day and the bombing campaign and the Russian front. It wasn't that at all. And so she really, she really encountered 
a lot of um, a lot of learning, but it came at an expense. I think as I look back, I I think if I had to do it over, I would have taken. A lot of parents wonder they don't want to be helicopter parents. I think it's as you both do. I think it's better to err in an activist sense, an interventionist sense, at that point in a student's decision making. Because I thought, you know. I will pay for it or help you pay for it, but I'm not going to tell you where to go, but I'm going to advise you. And then you have to make that decision. And I think that in each case, I got feedback that they wanted, in retrospect, more direction from me. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were my dad, I mean, I would expect you to tell me what to do. (laughs) I would demand that. (laughs) But I would say things like if you go, I went to UC Santa Cruz when it first opened. It was a wonderful school. I said to my daughter and uh, I was a classics major. I had taken all the advanced placement. I didn't have any GE to do. And all I took was Greek and Latin and translation and in the original languages. And I had wonderful professors and I got individual attention. They were not ideological. They were center left. It was kind of a crazy hippie school, but I got it. And you can do the same thing, but that was bad. I, that was bad advice. And she said, well, I can't do the same thing because it's not like that. And it's a different time. The times and she was time. right about that. I remember taking her to the orientation and one of these minor officials saying, as he walked around and meeting the parents, he said, well, I, I, I want every student to have one homosexual experience while they're on campus. Yeah. And he sad. said that's that. That's kind of what happened to her at Chicago, but that came through. That happened to our daughter as well, but that came from the from the RA. But Victor, yeah. they, that, I mean, it was just they were the, the boys and girls are using toilets and showers in the same. It's co-ed same showers with, like, with just a what with is just, what curtain, call, like a like curtain, a curtain be, between them. And I'm like and, and also with all the Me Too stuff going on, I'm like, this is a recipe for disaster. And it's not I don't think it's very safe for anybody to to be engaging in, you know, 18, 19 year olds in that kind of environment. And, and I think it's also like, very, but, but I think it's condoms out after we all laughed as parents because we had to come back and give her something We're like, what's this? And it's like, they put the condoms out for these kids. I'm like, what, what, where have we sent her? We were like, we lost our minds, Victor. We were beside ourselves that we'd sent her to a school like that. This little precious thing that we raised, we sent her off to the wolves. <laughs> I, I, I had my, he went to a CSU campus, my son, Cal Poly, then he transferred to Fresno. And I said to him, don't be deluded by this permissiveness on campus. It's there and it will draw you in if you let it. But I want to warn you that when young people are not committed to each other and they have sexual congress, emotions run high. And often what seems, you know, what might seem okay on on the current climate and campus, a person can have a regrettable experience, very common if you don't know someone. And that will grow under counseling and feminist studies to accusations of people who that you were using coercion or something. So I said to my son, yes, you go there. And yes, people do all sorts of crazy things in the dorms and they swim nude in the pool and all that stuff. But don't think that the new left is not Victorian at the same time. It's very permissive. It just it just chooses when to be permissive and to be, you know, traditional and when not to. And it's usually adjudicated by counselors on campus that if there is an incident, you will not have constitutional protections. And I was just speaking as someone over the 20 years I've been at Stanford and the 20 years I was at Cal State, I must have seen 25 of these cases 
where people go out on the date. They really don't know each other very well. They sometimes have alcohol, sometimes don't. They have sex. The boy being a cad decides that weeks later, he does not want to see the girl. And that's not, that's kind of a stereotype narrative, but it happens. And then the girl gets upset. And then it can be months later, she says that she feels under uh, further consideration that she was coerced. And then the young student is accused of sexual assault. And he does not have a right to have a lawyer or cross-examination or bring in witnesses or any, or even have his accuser named. And I've seen this and it destroys people. So I think all people that go to these campuses, and that's the majority of campuses, should adopt not just for moral reasons, but for self-protective reasons. They should say, you know what? I'm not going to get involved in this 60s type culture that's normative. I'm just not going to do it. It's kind of like the sirens and the odyssey. It lures you in and it shipwrecks you. It shipwrecks you morally, but it shipwrecks you legally too. You have a lot of exposure, especially for young males. That's, yeah. a, that's a really good point. I, I mean, I guess I hadn't thought about it like that. And you probably see it so frequently and you see the real risk and danger that there's there's no bright line rules for liberals. Um, it's, it's It can be okay one day to your point. It can be it can be wrong two weeks or two months later. And so going in with a clear set of moral I think values you have, they have to. Keeps, I, I, your, keeps you safe. Can I ask you, I know we don't have much time left with you, Victor. I went to law school, graduated like 23, 25 years ago. And it wasn't, and, it, and this has been a conversation I know about uh, undergrad, but uh, it seems like over the course of the last decade, you know, 15 years, We've seen law schools become wildly woke. Medical schools become very woke. I'm, and I, I don't know if you can speak to this, but I'm concerned as a former prosecutor. I look at judges. I look at the criminal justice system, the the the, the fairness and equity that happens in our American system is really remarkable. I'm really proud. I mean, I was a prosecutor. I I was proud of the system that I participated in, whether I won or I lost. 12 people came in and made a decision of guilt or innocence. I love it. And I thought that the, 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 the prosecutors and the defense were moral, upstanding, principled in the way they presented their cases, both one advocating for the state, one advocating for the defense. It seems like we're now going to start churning out a bunch of left-wing nuts that will be all part of this criminal justice reform, this, this, this set of ideas that undermine our Bill of Rights um, because that's what they've been taught. This is this is what we've taught today is what we're going to see in our future judges and legislators tomorrow. It scares me. Wondering if you have any concern, whether it's I do. I, I I I have an apartment on campus right across the street from Stanford Law School, so I know people that teach there. I I follow some of the things that they do, and this critical legal theory that posits basically. If you do not have an equality of result in society, there has to be an identifiable victim and an identifiable victimizer, and that the law is a construct that was created by fill-in-the-blanks, wealthy, white, heterosexual males, and it doesn't have any currency, or as one person put it, it's a crime to steal snicker bars because wealthy white men don't steal them. Therefore, they say you can't steal them, and it only impacts people of marginal background. So, yeah, it's it's very scary because they do not believe, A, in the Constitution, and they, they're open about that. They feel that it's a relic of, of a particular race and gender and age, 
And more importantly, they feel no duty to follow it. And that permeates the entire campus because I think it's not an exaggeration to say that for a faculty member or a student, there is no constitutional protection on campus. There just isn't. And I know that where I was, uh, Scott Atlas, who's a wonderful colleague of mine, you know, he had a different view from Dr. Fauci. He wrote very early on, and when he went as a consultant to the Trump administration, he was very prominent in saying this mutatable virus will not have an answer as we know it yet with a with an ironclad vaccine. And masks are valuable, but uh, only in particular places and only a particular mask. And more importantly, we by having a shotgun approach, shutting down the schools, except that we're, we don't have enough resources to concentrate on the people who are really vulnerable, the elder. And for that, he was censored by the Stanford faculty, the Stanford medical faculty. There was talk about yanking his license. Uh, he, he, he suffered a great deal of financial loss. He was, um, his professional reputation on campus was ruined. People like myself who wrote about this and how unjust that I was attacked. I had to go before the Stanford Faculty Senate. One of my accusers was the member of Stanford Antifa who had founded it. And then Neil Ferguson, a distinguished historian, another colleague, he was attacked. So it was almost as if we're going to attack him because we feel that he is advancing particular Trumpian ideas and he wasn't, but they were medically sound and we're going to destroy him and anybody else who defends him, we're going to find something and go after you. And then we're going to set the climate as a deterrent factor that nobody will dare ever do this again and cross us. And these are not radical students. These are very distinguished faculty, deans, provosts, all the way to the top. And that happens at almost all the campuses. I'm just thinking right now that the Ben Shapiro um, example that we're all aware of at Georgetown or the Jonathan Katz example, where he he was really outraged at this uh, radical black group that was intimidating other black students. And he wrote about and he used the word um, terrorist tactic or terrorist group. But he, he, you know, and he said, you know, they're, they're terrorizing other African-Americans. And that led to sort of a star chamber inquisition of his entire past. And then they dug up something they already had reprimanded him and retried him again. And then they put a video out where they picked and choose words and censored it to make him look even uh, more dubious and attacked him with an introductory video. And it was, and then they fired him, a tenured professor. And these examples, uh, whether they're Jordan Peterson or at Evergreen up in Oregon, they're not, uncommon, but more importantly, they set a tone for a young faculty member, particularly without tenure. And that's why they're designed to do. There's these protocols say, this is the orthodox view. If you challenge it, we're going to go after you and we're going to destroy your career and your life. And so on the other hand, you can buy indemnity insurance and participate in our agendas. And if you do slip and make mistakes, or you're, you, you'll be immune from any prosecution or punishment. And that's a, a very powerful tonic for a lot of young faculty. We'll have more of this conversation after this. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it 
all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I mean, and especially in the case of Dr. Scott Atlas, he was uh, definitely vindicated <laughs> um, many he, times he was. over. Uh, it's unbelievable um, how no it, apologies and, ever came exactly. from the med school. Nothing. No, no apologies ever came from the university community. Nobody ever said, we're sorry. Uh, we want to make it up to you. We um, it was it was it was terrible what they did to him. You know, when when I hear all of this, I'm, I'm, I'm even more um, reinforced in what Sean and I have done. And, and, and we always say that having a lot of kids you know, it's wonderful. But the best part is you get second chances and um, you get to you and get do overs. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we get do overs. And I do think we've learned a lot. You know, even, you know, we, we we sent our kids to, you know, Catholic school and, you know, not all Catholic schools are the same. And we, you know, finally wised up. It took us, you know, many years to figure out um, that, you know, we want what we really wanted was a classical Catholic school for our kids. And then that's now extended to, you know, the, the university and the system that we now have where we tell our kids, this is the list. Um, and we're, we want to help you. We, you can go wherever you want, but if you want us to help, we're only going to help with these schools. And it, again, it's not because it's ideological. It's because we want them to graduate, having learned something about truth and beauty and, and what's made Western civilization um, so amazing and and what are the foundational and as you said the primary sources for so many of of the scholarship um, and and so that's what we're looking for I think the things that you bring up about how how men are treated young men can be treated and the and the perils for them is is really important I think maybe even and you you know you brought this up and it's such a great point who are your kids eventually I mean it's not uncommon that people meet their future spouse. And I frankly think the most important decision you make in your entire life is not where you go to school. It's, it's who you marry. Um, and so who are you, who are you surrounding your kid? Uh, who are the people oh, surrounding your point. child? I think that's just as important um, as what they're learning. And all of this is reinforced for me, the idea that, you know, I, I need this list. And so I want to go over some of the, some of the schools that you said. So you yeah. said Hillsdale. Yes. St. John's, St. Yes. Thomas Aquinas in California. Yes. You still like Pepperdine and you like the University of Dallas. Yes. What else would you add to this list? What other schools? Well, the, the other schools then are schools that, um, how should I put it carefully, that are part of woke institutions, but they have, a, they're like the University of Colorado is entirely woke, but they have an innovative Western civ and even have a professor of the history of conservative thought there. And when I spoke, have spoken there, I've met a whole group of students that were able to pick and choose uh, what, what they wanted to take. So many criteria are based on, you know, the location of the place. Uh, Chicago is much better for a student than Princeton or Stanford. Agreed. But on the other hand, it's a very wild neighborhood, especially right now. It's dangerous. Yeah, and that's a crisis. USC is probably not as... The, the, the campus police in this really dangerous neighborhood. That's how dumb they are. And by the way, the, 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 people, the people, the, the black community are in on the South side loves that campus police because that's what's allowed that area to actually 
be a little safer and businesses have thrived and they're the ones against defunding the police on campus. But the, so campus same thing with the white kids want to defund it. Yeah, the campus rich white kids want to defund the police. The, the minorities in the community are like, no, 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 keep the police. <laughs> keep, keep them. There was a. Uh, we'll do that for you. <laughs> the same thing is true of USC. It, it's uh, if anybody's followed the University of Southern California the last 20 years, when I was 20, it was considered an O.J. Simpson football factory or a fraternity school. And it was in a very bad area in, in Watts. In very, but over the years, it had really stressed institutional integrity. They had a wonderful president, Max Nikias, uh, who was a social and I think political conservative. And he was there for 10 years. It, it was just my daughter, when she graduated from Pepperdine Graduate School, she went there and worked had a wonderful experience there. And uh, I have gone over and given guest lectures there, but that, so that is in transition as well. It's not quite as bad as US, UCLA next door where they sort of are getting rid of all meritocratic considerations. What do you, what do you think about here's a couple of schools that I've, I've heard of yeah. that people are thinking about one is Arizona state university also has, I think. Pumpkins. I've heard the same thing. I, yes. I've only spoken there once a long time ago, but I've heard that it's, trying to what one of the things that's happening is a lot of universities is we're going to have a million fewer students in the fall than we did two years ago. And that will translate, you know, at maybe as many as uh, 10,000 fewer faculty jobs. And people are starting to panic, especially when kids go on the internet or they feel that. Why, why are we having a million fewer kids? I, I hadn't heard that. Yes. Well, Partly it's because of the economy and inflation and worries. Partly it's the woke anger at the woke. Partly it's the student debt crisis, 1.7 trillion. And partly it's the idea that in this economy, vocational skills, I mean, you get in California, if you want an electrician to work at your home, he, he charges $40, $50 an hour. That can work out to eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 a year versus you know, $100,000 in a sociology degree from Cal State Riverside and mm -hmm. then unemployed. So people, young people are making those decisions that more than half are not going to four-year colleges or community colleges, or better yet, they're going to a California in this state community college for two years near home, live at home, save money, and then transfer to the university system, either the CSU or UC, and save half the cost. But the, the net result is that at four-year colleges, they are in a crisis because they're short students and their costs are rising and they can't go any higher on the tuition and, and cost of living because the, the, it's unaffordable. And so one of the results is that, um, and I think this is, this is positive that a lot of schools are thinking, wait a minute, we're going to, if we continue down the woke road and we continue down these social science degrees that don't give people jobs when we have this vocational pressure and the online course pressure and the commercial school pressure, we better be more balanced. So you're starting to see people like Arizona State and others saying, hold on, let's have some element of the campus that can attract a type of student that has those mm. worries and get them into college because they are destroying their own product. It doesn't, it's not right. going to affect the Ivy league and Stanford because and Berkeley and, and Chicago and, you know, because they, they don't really sell. Nobody says I'm going to Harvard because I'm going to get a wonderful ed 
undergraduate degree. Nobody anymore says, I want to be on the Princeton campus so I can have Cornell West as a professor. They don't say that. They say, I don't know much about it. Parents do, but we're wealthy. And we know if you get a BA from Princeton, you can get into Yale Law School. That's what they think. Right. And so right. that that's, that's so a they're, they're going to be exempt because they're not they're just selling a brand that's like Coca-Cola or Honda or Toyota versus a Kia. You know, nobody cares whether a Kia or a Hyundai actually might be as good as a Toyota or a Honda, but they just know that the brand name or, you know, you buy a, co- a generic Coke versus Pepsi, it could be just as good, but it doesn't have the brand name. And that's what these schools are now selling. And I don't think they'll ever, I think as bad as they are, and they're going to get worse, I think they'll still for a while longer have that brand name. So what do you think about a school like Liberty or School of the Ozarks, some of these that have very overtly conservative or religious. Yeah. Um, well, they're very different. I think they're very different schools. I, I know people keep uh, Liberty's had some problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've but, heard of them. Yeah. And we I don't need to get into them. But the College yep. of the Ozarks are a little different because it's got uh, it's got a very good speaking bureau. They have people coming from all over the United States that speak there that enrich the campus. Like they 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 really require everybody, not because just for financial reasons, but they think work, physical work. And the same thing was true when I went to St. Thomas Aquinas. They had beautiful rose gardens. And I said, I've never seen a rose garden like that on a campus. And they said, the students do it. We assign them particular landscaping projects that. or we assign them. We give them uh, when we make a new building, we have a student committee and they have to decide the paint and then they do it and they take pride. And the College of the Ozarks is sort of famous for that, for having a that students learn the value of, and the nobility of physical work. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a great place. And the president is sort of renowned. I think he's in his seventies. His name mm-hmm. escapes me. Yeah. But that, that's a yep. good place. Absolutely. What about Purdue? Purdue is uh, basically uh, the create, the modern Purdue is a creation of Mitch Daniels, who's an excellent Correct. administrator and, and was a very, a great OMB director for a while for George W. Bush. But he came up with this innovative notion that students um, we're going to get a contractual value of their education. So they, if they came to campus, they were going to graduate in four years. They were going to have classes that were available. They would not major in history and then suddenly find that the one third of the history department was on leave their senior year and they couldn't take the necessary courses. So he had the idea that he was going to freeze tuition, room and board, and he was going to give greater value. And it was a, a student-centered approach that they could actually go to that university, be serious, and graduate in four years. Remember, half of all undergraduates who enter their freshman year do not graduate after six years. They drop out. So we don't talk about that. But he was trying to address those issues. And then he he made some very astute observations that once the federal government interrupted the moral hazard and said, basically, we're going to guarantee these student loans no matter what, and the university was not was off the hook, then they doubled the rate of inflation with their annual tuition increases. And he put a stop to that. So I, I think as long as he is there, and I don't know the degree he's institutionalized his leadership, but it, it's 
it's of the big 10 schools, I think it's the best. That's interesting. Victor, I'm going to take you on a little different jaunt as this, I make this point. One of the worst agencies that was created in Dodd-Frank is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, yes. the CFPB. It's a horrible, unaccountable to Congress. It's self-funding. Republicans, we tried to kill it in, in the Financial Services Committee. Major fights over the course of my tenure in Congress. However, wouldn't it be great if the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau started to take a look at some of these universities and <laughs> how much they're charging kids and the Absolutely. kind of garbage product they get back and Absolutely. the CFPB went after schools? That's the one thing I'd actually go for, for the CFPB to look into colleges and universities. And yes, I think, they- I think and, and remember the first year of the Trump administration, people did say to the universities, if you are a nonprofit and you're piling up these Princeton, Stanford, Yale, Harvard, 20, 30, 40, 50 billion dollar endowments, and the interest on that money is being devoted to political activism rather than instruction, mm-hmm. and yet you're you're all tax exempt. And the people who give to you don't have to pay gift tax on that. And yet you're not a disinterested institution anymore. And there was serious talk that you should limit the tax deductibility after a certain student uh, dollar amount in the endowment. So maybe if Hillsdale has 1,600 students, it's got $1 billion, that would be permissible money per student. But above that, the government, any university should not be subsidizing colleges to mass to amass these huge endowments that are not used to necessarily reduce student cost all the time. Often they are, but they're used for these other things that are pernicious. And that was one thing that people talked about. Another is I think tenure could be replaced with yearly contracts or three to five year contracts. If you're a professor of philosophy in the next five years, we would expect one or two articles, maybe one book, um, better than average teaching evaluations. Uh, you, You did go to your office hours and then we'll assess you after five years rather than just saying, okay, you're 30 years old, you've been here six years, we're gonna give you lifetime employment. Another thing is I think it's very valuable is When we talk about all these problems, we essentially get back to the school of education because Mm. they are the ones that are teaching our high school kids grammar school. And if we would just say uh, to the states, uh, if we're going to fund with federal money uh, these universities, we should say the school of education, we're not going to fight you. We understand that you're highly political and you're not teaching any academic knowledge for that year or two to credential people. However, we are going to tell the states that if they have their K through 12 public schools, you have the choice of either getting a BA and a credential, the traditional route through the school, or you can have a master's degree, a one or one and a half year academic degree without a credential. Because, and I think the students would walk. In other words, when they got their BA and they wanted to be a history teacher or a science teacher, Ah. they'd stay an extra year and take an MA in science or history. And then they would be away from the worst of that politicking. Because I had the unhappy experience. Yeah, I I had to speak. uh, I was assigned a classroom for, I think, four years in the School of Education. And I just would listen to the teachers next year. You know, they would say I walked out of my classroom and they had a kind of a they had students lined up on both sides of the hallway and they were yelling the N word and and all these horrible words at students. I said, what is going on? And they said each person has to walk the line, the gamut. And then uh, we we call them 
terrible things. I said, why would you do that? So they know what it's like. I said, they've never heard these words in their life. <laughs> and it was stuff like that every day. And I started, I was very young at the time. I thought, these people are crazy. They're and, crazy. Uh, and they were doing things, teaching high school teachers about uh, grading and syllabi that had to, that were not meritocratic. And, you you know, we, we were upset about this idea that if you're punctual, it's white supremacy. But that went way back. I can remember 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people in the School of Education were talking about whiteness and punctuality as being unnecessary as teachers. So I, I think you've got to emasculate the School of Education. You need to tax the endowments. I think the federal government's got to get out of the student loan. And, and if these, if you had an 18-year-old and they were going to Princeton and somebody sat down with them or, say, Northwestern or University of Texas, and they said, look, we have to have you sign this, but you're going to go for four years. Theoretically, you're going to pay $100,000 a year. It's going to be $400,000 unless you get a scholarship. The current interest rate on the student loan is 7% or 6%. You're going to be paying $2,021 a month or something. Here are the list of majors that you can consider. And here is the average income per major when you graduate. Now, if you select any of these majors, these are going to be how many years you're going to pay off that student loan. And that's what you do when you buy a car. They, they, they yes. apprise you of every possible. Same thing. And yet we just let these kids come in. They get a letter. They go off. They think it's not going to be paid back. And the next thing we know, they, they're indebted for 10, 20 years. I have relatives that 20 years later, they owe $40,000 still. And I left, I left Congress at 48 years old. And only after I left Congress did I pay off my student loans. I paid forever. Um, yeah, it was a great I feeling to pay them off. Can I, and, and I know we had to let you go. This is, this is going a long time. I just, I, I thought about running for governor in Wisconsin and uh, I haven't shared this before, but Rachel and I have talked about it. One of the first things that I was going to address as governor is the, the department of education the education department within our university system, because the yes. the woke teachers that are being funneled out of there into our K through 12 schools, you're exactly right. And I would yeah. just tell you from my time in Congress, it is really hard to change the federal government, to change the agencies. Governors yeah. have so much power in their states. Ron DeSantis is a great example of that. Christy Noem, a great example yeah. of governors who are making changes that have huge impacts. And I just wish we had more Republican conservative governors seeing the problems and the power that they have and saying, listen, our, our state tax dollars are not going to go and fund an education system that's churning out all these woke teachers to go back into our school system and indoctrinate our kids. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to do it. I'm sorry. That's not why we're paying our taxes. We want to educate these, these, these young adults to be good teachers, good instructors, but we don't we want to we don't want to teach them how to be indoctrinators. That's not the job. And that's not what we, you know, you've given your tax money for more governors need to stand up. And if they do, I think we'd see, you know, even more changes that are necessary but in the education. I think it system. was harder to make those changes prior to, I think, the awakening that's happened. I mean, you and I've been saying for a long time, Sean and, and Victor, you know, this the Marxists, um, the radicals infiltrated the teaching colleges for a reason. It was all intentional. And, you know, there were a few, you know, voices out there talking about it, but you, people kind of thought you were a little bit crazy and radical yourself for, for focusing Pointing on that. Out. I think it's a very 
popular idea right now to reform teachers colleges. And I think people are awake to it and ready for it. And I think all of your ideas are excellent. I I think that if anyone listened to this podcast, uh, Victor, they would become a better consumer of education. And I think that is what we wanted to accomplish with this. podcast. I hope so. I hope so. Well, I, I think enjoyed it's it. the I, greatest service that you could you you could do and our podcast could do. Save in America well, is helping parents make better decisions with their students. You are the, the I think one of the, the the great thinkers in this space and who people trust, which I mean, again, for our own family, Victor, you are one of the reasons why we kind of put together this list for our daughter <laughs> and well, thank you. the University of Dallas because of the conversation with you, which is why I wanted to bring you back to go. Let's talk about it again and, and, and have, you know, this, this, these sets of things we can look at to go again. I I love, what are we teaching? What are the, what are the, what are the titles of the classes? What's in the bookstore? I mean, what what kinds of things are are being posted about what are the activities on campus? All of this is very smart. Your point is they're not hiding it. I mean, it's on (laughs) their sleeve. It's like you, you, you can take a glimpse at the college and go, oh gosh, these are, these guys are woke as all get out. And if they're traditional classical, you're going to see that as well. As long as you scratch the surface a little bit and look, we'll all see it. And so as a parent, look at it and, and make sure if you care about the kind of education that your kid's going to get or the kind of person your child is going to be when they get out. That's more important. Isn't that? It is more yeah. important. Well, we'll help, help push them and instruct them and, and, and guide them into a better school or better yet don't fund the woke institutions, which is we're, we're not going to do it anymore. We did it for, for two of them. We're not funding the people that hate us that want to, that want to steal our daughter from us. We don't want to do that. And we're not going to, we work too hard for them. I mean, well, everyone works too hard for their money, right? You work too hard for your yeah. money to go, why, why am I giving it to these people who hate, you know, Victor David Hansen, this hey, classical thinker. Or who hate America. Hate America. <laughs> yes, better yet, they yes. hate America. Yeah. Burn our flag. Well, thank Victor, you for having me on. I appreciate oh. it. We think you're an American treasure. Okay, well, thank you. And uh, we'll do it again. Thank you. That was a great conversation with Victor Davis Hansen. Um, so smart, so insightful. Um, and again, had a huge impact on the decisions that we made um, yeah, for our third child. And adding more to it. I just love all these other little um, bits of information and, and things that you can do to get to the bottom of it. I think it's not just parents, it's grandparents now. A lot of grandparents are helping to pay for colleges as well. And I think they're also going, hey, where's my money going? What What's the product here? And I hope that all of this is... Um, helpful to, to people, to students, to parents, to grandparents, as they make their decision that we can all become better consumers of education. And um, what I loved about what he said, it was, it's not a secret. It's really clear. It's just yeah. look at it and you're going to go, yeah, wait, this is, this school seems to be pretty decent. This one is not. And you can, at first, at first glance, you're going to be able to tell what kind of school it is. And then you can ask around as well. And you can help your child make a, a great decision on the school that they go to. And I think he made an interesting point. There's going to start to be a transition, especially if there's a million less students going to school. That That's you, a wake up call for the higher education system. No question about absolutely. it. Absolutely. No and, question. And so and, I, and, and if, if we if, if we send our kids to, to places that again, I, I want my kids to hear all kinds of ideas. I want them to be exposed to all different kinds of people. That's a good thing. I just don't want them to be indoctrinated. I'm not trying to protect them from anything. I just don't want the, 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 the magic men and women at these universities who've perfected indoctrination to get my child. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Educate them. 
don't don't teach them garbage. Use my dollar well and 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 expand their minds. That's what I want. And I I do still love what he said about marriage too, because that is something that happens out of universities. Who who do your kids end up becoming close friends or eventually um, married to? And that also matters um, and has generational impact. So. What is the person you want them to be? And is that university helping them to become the person they should be, the best person they can be? And, and I also like the point too, it's like I'm, most college kids make really bad decisions. I, I didn't. I only made perfect decisions. <laughs> yeah, We all make bad decisions in college. And he makes a good point to go, it's dangerous. These are dangerous times that you can make some not perfect decisions. And two weeks, two months, yeah, four months later- it can come back to you with no constitutional protections and you're tarnished. A lot of these kids are committing suicide. It is just, it's a horrible experience and they have no due process um, and can be falsely accused. Um, or, or even just, you know, and, and that's also an extreme case, but you know, what's it like to be, I mean, you and I, we went, I went to Arizona state university. It was definitely more liberal than me, but it was pretty, you know, center left, if not center. Everything is more left than you, Rachel. Yeah, everything is more left than me. That's true. But that Even said, me, I am. It's like, I'm, I'm I, I never felt, I felt like I could say what I wanted to say for the most part. What if you spent four years feeling like you're living in East Germany where you're afraid to say anything and you really end up just, you stop thinking for yourself. Um, I, I, it's just a terrible way to go through life. And you're going to take that from the university to your next job, to yeah. your marriage, to yeah. your, I mean, it, 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 it infects your life. Yeah. Right. And again, we, we used to have, and again, when we went to school, there was this idea that we could debate, we could have disagreement and you weren't going to get canceled. You weren't going to get, you know, shunned and kicked out of Those school. That's what it is now. And who wants that? Um, potential experience for their for their their, yeah. their young adult going into the world. So um, again, we we are our, our, we made a mistake with the first two. It's turned out pretty okay with the first two. This third one, I'm like, well, I don't know how it would go for her. Um, so let's make sure we protect her. And well, I feel better about school. writing that check. Absolutely do. Um, so anyway, he is a national treasure. We're so glad That's we got him on. So smart. So smart. Well, um, if you like this podcast, definitely rate subscribe review review wherever you get your podcasts and uh we will talk to you next time from the kitchen table thanks for joining us we'll see you around the kitchen table next week bye everybody the fox news rundown a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else your daily dose of news twice a day featuring insight from top newsmakers reporters and fox news contributors listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com